life with all its complexities. It can either be lived or it can be survived. The question is, where do you fall? Now, God's plan for you and I is for us to live life abundantly. But how do we get there? Now, welcome to the podcast. You see, our goal at Live Alive is to encourage, empower, and equip you to live life without limits and discover how to live alive. Hello, Live Alive family. God bless you all. It's Elder Patrick Lyons. Just so glad, as always, to be online with you. Just definitely want to launch out today into a very good conversation, continuing around the theme, God Deliver Me From People. The initial aspects of this uh, series, the initial aspects of this discussion, really was wrapped around the idea that people really aren't our problem. We talked about how oftentimes we empower people to rule over us by giving them too much authority and access over our heart, our mind, and our emotions. And that when we make the statement, God deliver me from people, in essence, we're really saying, God deliver me from myself because I'm getting in my own way. But there is a reality. There's another flip side of this coin. There's a flip side of this conversation I refuse to skip over. And the reality is that there are times in our lives where we are trapped and consumed by the decisions, the processes, and the habits of other people. I really want to dig into that context. And really what we did was we take a look at the Bible and we took at the different challenges of relationship and interaction that Jesus had and other people had in Scripture. And we really want to gather what lessons can we learn from this. So today I really want to open up this uh, concept of detaching from wallowers. In order to really capitalize what God has for you and be and become all God has designed you to become, there has to be a place where we begin to learn how to separate from wallowers. You know, when I thought about this topic, the first thing that popped in my mind was pigs. No, not because I wanted some pork chops. and No, not because I wanted to go to a petting zoo. But I began to think about pigs in their pig pen and how disgusting the lifestyle of a pig was and how dirty a lifestyle of a pig was and begin to think about the fact that whenever a pig was placed in a dirty area, where they ate, where they lived, where they thrive. They would also eat where they would have their release of bowels. They would also um, begin to wallow in the dirt. They didn't run from it. They didn't hide from it. They didn't avoid it. They would wallow in it. If food was on the ground, they were rolling in it. If feces and urine was on the ground, they were rolling in it. And I begin to find out that in order for us to become all God has for us, for us to experience John 10, 10, that said the thief cometh not before to steal, kill, and to destroy. Uh, and Jesus saying he came that we might have life. In order to have that abundant life, Jesus was talking talking about. We have to begin to understand and manage and navigate the relationships we're tied to. And what does this have to do with pigs? Here, let me help you out. What this has to do with pigs is sometimes we as people go through tragedies, we go through traumas, we go through negative experiences. And unfortunately, one of the responses we have is to wallow in it. One of the responses we have to deal with our sin, to address our disobedience to God, to wrestle with the different frustrations of our lives is to sometimes sit down, get comfortable, roll and wallow in the very mess we know we need to be delivered from. 
Not only is it about sin and issues, but oftentimes uh, living out our shortcomings. A lot of us are living limited capacity because of the, some of the negative decisions we've made, the, ha- the decisions that have been made for us, uh, our upbringing, negative seeds that have been deposited, people who hurt and abuse us. And life has found us in a place where we're not really experiencing the fullness of the abundance God has for us because instead of being provoked and motivated to push through to overcome, we've come to the decision that we want to remain. We want to remain with some of the dilemmas of our lives. We want to remain working a job that is below our capacity to excel and experience uh, life as God designed it for us. We want to remain in places that are toxic for us just because it's all we've ever known. We remain in places too long. One of the seatbelts that strap us down in the vehicle of uh, limited living is the simple fact that when we can connect to people who are wallowers, 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 wallowers are the people you can call who will celebrate your misery by sharing in it but never call you out of it. Wallowers are people who can identify with your frustrations and will provoke you to make the bad decision just because it feels good while they know the bad decision will cost you more in the end. Wallowers, wallowers are the people who will complain with you about what you're going through while the, but they will never give you effort, passion, resources, and skills to help you get out of what you're in. Wallowers are the people who will justify your anger, your hatred, your bitterness, your frustration, your uh Unforgiveness. They will they will do whatever it takes to identify with you and in essence strap you into the location you presently are in. Wallowers. We've got friends, we've got associates. I don't even want to call them friends. We've got associates we're connected to that are good to come to when we feel like complaining. But when we've got good news to celebrate how we're moving up in life, they're not the person we go to, not because we don't want someone to celebrate, but that person doesn't genuinely celebrate with us. They're good at answering the phone when they when 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 uh, a shoulder is needed to cry on because they feel celebrated. They feel valued. They feel like they have purpose attached to our pain because our pain validates their wisdom, their strength, their knowledge, and their influence in our lives. And thus developing a dependency in us to, for them to, for us to remain broken, uh, for them to capitalize on that by seeing their own worth as a so-called help us through what we're going through. Wallowers. Wallowers are the people who will tell you to believe your ordained place in God because it's not comfortable for you. Wallowers are the people who will point out the negativity of your mate, but won't challenge you to overcome your own negativity that will impact your relationship for the better. Wallowers. Wallowers are the people that will cry with you, stay in the seat with you, and linger there. The Bible says, blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor standeth in the way of sitters. Here it is, nor sitteth in the seat of the scornful. In, in other words, when we connect ourselves to people who carry out bitterness and an anger and frustration and negativity and we take a seat with them then we find ourselves sitting in a community of wallowers that never become more but they're good at expressing why they never became I don't want to be the person who never becomes I want to be the person who identifies the need for change and develops through the process of restoration and moving forward I can't, I can't, I cannot attach myself to wallowers. So tonight I want to encourage you to deal with the relationship 
of wallowers. I want to encourage you to overcome the dependency on the wallower. I want to encourage you tonight to stop running to people who help you remain in a broken state, but find yourself being willing to be challenged to become more than you presently are. I want to challenge you through this podcast to sever relationships that are satisfied with status quo existence and are okay with you not moving forward because this will require them to celebrate their own success without seeing you smile and be happy on your own. I want to encourage you to not be held down, to be tied down, to be strapped in, to be locked in place, to be associated, connected, and bogged down by the weight, influence, and overwhelming attachment to the wallowers. So today's discussion, I really want to deal with this idea of it's time to detach from wallowers. It's time to detach from wallowers. Detaching from wallowers does not mean that you don't value people. Detaching from wallowers does not mean that you don't uh, appreciate relationships that you've had in your life. Detaching from wallowers just means that you have decided that you will not be held down from by people who can identify where you are and use and allow their empathy or their sympathy to keep you seated and planked in place by the weight of their uh, appeasement, by the weight of their justification, by the weight of their uh, uh, empathy in the form of tears that hold you where you are. I need to disconnect from wallowers, wallowers, wallowers capitalize on my failure, wallowers capitalize on my brokenness. Wallowers find value in themselves when they are the ones I call to address my emotional need. Wallowers will point to my emotion rather than my thinking. Wallowers will provoke me to feel rather than process. Wallowers will remain in mess with you just so they can say they have value attached to your pain. I want to encourage you to detach from wallowers. Now, in order to really give you a clear picture of what this looks like, I want to take you to a familiar passage of scripture out of Matthew chapter 9, verse 18 through 26. In Matthew chapter 9, verse 18 through 26, we literally see a picture of wallowers and how Jesus comes on the scene to break up the relationship between the wallower and the sufferer. Sufferers and wallowers go hand in hand. Sufferers and wallowers are found in the same territories when the the person suffering develops dependency on the wallower to justify, validate, and identify with where they are. So here's, here's, here's where it is. In scripture, here we have in Matthew chapter 9, verse number uh, 19. Let's start, matter of fact, let's start at verse number 18. Here's what it says. It says, as Jesus was saying this, the leader of a synagogue came and knelt before him. My daughter has just died. He said, but you can bring her back to life if you just come and lay your hands on her. The issue of wallowing really gets us called out of where we are. Uh, and gets us to remain stuck in this pattern, a flight pattern of consistency in a negative place. You see, 
in order to break away or detach from the wallower, there's a couple things you can do. I'm going to give you four steps. I'm going to give you four principles. And as you capture these four principles, we're praying that God will begin to detach you from wallowers. Step number one, you see it here in the text. In order to detach from wallowers, you have to fight to find Jesus when it's easier to stay with the crowd. You have to fight to find Jesus when it's easier to stay with the crowd. The scripture in the text says here in verse number 18, as Jesus was saying this, the leader of the synagogue came and knelt before him. In other words, the leader of the synagogue had to separate himself from the people who were identifying with his pain so that he could get to Jesus who could address his pain. Yeah, yeah. In other words, the, 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 the ruler of the synagogue had to make a decision. Do I remain in this house of grief or do I move to the Jesus who can call me out of it by healing my daughter? He had to make a decision. Do I, do I link up with people who can cry with me or do I move to the Christ who will call me into action in spite of my pain? Do I, do, I, do I sit here and have people who can suffer with me or do I move to Christ who will call me out of suffering into the, the very thing that I know he can do? And there are a lot of people who are stuck in pig pens of life because they have attached themselves to people who have a limited capacity of identifying with where they are but cannot help them move forward to where God is calling them to be. Those people we call wallowers. I mean, think about it. You got to understand, according to Jewish custom, according to uh, scripture, that the, whenever someone died, there were grievers. There were people who were mourners who were hired to come in and they would literally grieve and they would literally mourn the loss of someone to link up with the person who has now suffered grief in the absence of their loved one. And so here it is, we have people who capitalize on the suffering of one and get personal gain out of it. And the leader of the synagogue had to make a decision. Am I going to sit with the people who gain from my suffering or am I going to move into the Christ who challenges, who challenges me to believe for more? It's a decision we all have to make. And every time we make the decision to pick up the phone and call the wallower versus calling on Jesus or versus calling on the people who will call us into healthy thinking versus toxic feeling, then we find ourselves remaining stuck. But the leader of the synagogue made a decision. He said, I know there is a man named Jesus who has the power to heal. So in order for me to get my daughter back, I have to get out of this place that is easier to stay in of this place of grief and mourning and sit with people who can identify with my pain so I can get to the person who can resolve my pain. The question becomes, how have your relationships held you in a place that's comfortable, but leaves you stuck in that place? The question becomes, how do I get to the place where I can get the, the fire, the zeal, the resource, the strategy, the intention, the information to find Jesus when it would just be easier to stay right here? I believe the answer is in the request of the man. As you look at the text, 
The man's question to Jesus, and it wasn't even really a question. It was a statement. My daughter has just died, he said. But you can bring her back to life again if you just come and lay your hands on her. Here's how, here's how you get to the place where you can find Jesus and break away from the crowd. In order to do so, here's what you do. You have to recognize the capacity of Christ versus the capacity of the crowd. Here we are, we have two different sources that produce two different outcomes. We have Jesus Christ, the Savior, the Redeemer, the Healer, the one who raises the dead, restores sight to the blind. And the ruler wrestles with, do I go to Jesus who has the capacity to restore life? Or do I remain with the crowd who can keep me in my grief? Do I choose feeling heard over being challenged? Oh, man. Do I choose validation of the crowd over the the challenge of believing Jesus Christ? Do I choose the commitment of suffering and shared grief and pain over the challenge of moving forward by the word of Christ? And it's a place that we all must come to. And the reason we fight to get to Jesus, the fuel we find is the recognition that Jesus has a larger capacity to do great things in our life than the crowd does. The crowd has the capacity to identify, weep, cry, and mourn. All they can do is link emotionally to the suffering of the synagogue leader, but the leader had to discover that he cannot he cannot give up his opportunity to see his daughter be healed just so he can have somebody identify with his pain. You have to be careful about the people that are quick to identify with your pain without, but are never there to call you out of your comfort. You have to be, you have to be alert. You have to be aware. You have to be strong enough. You have to be uh, a, 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 a conscious enough to recognize that some people's capacity is to just have tears with you. While that does feel good for the moment, it does not address the real need. It doesn't, it doesn't, it doesn't address the real need. So the, the synagogue leader made the decision that I am not going to remain in this dead state with this loss by getting comfortable with those who can identify with my pain, but I'm going to pursue the one who can address and resolve my pain. And he did that by recognizing the capacity of Christ. The second aspect you got to do is you have to fight the urge to allow time to frustrate your faith. Oh my goodness. You have to fight the urge to allow time to frustrate your faith. Here it is. Here it is in the text. Verse number 19 through verse number 22. Jesus and the disciples begin to journey with the synagogue leader back to his home so that they can raise his daughter. Here it is. As the text goes on, a woman with the issue of blood disrupts their progress to the house. And Jesus literally stops in the middle of his journey, turns and speaks to her after he heals her as she touches the hem of his garment. 
So wait a minute. The synagogue leader had enough heart, had enough faith to run to Jesus and leave the crowd because he recognized Christ's capacity. But now this man has to deal with the reality that Jesus' attention is on something and someone else, and he's got to wait till Jesus is ready to get to his need. The problem in the text is not that the woman was healed. The problem in the text, the conflict in the text, the issue in the text is that Jesus stopped to deal with her need and in essence, and in essence, extended the time of the synagogue leader's need. One of the biggest factors in fighting the good fight of faith, not just to fight for the faith, but the fight of maintaining your faith comes with the element of time. Time has the potential to destroy that which was once good. If you don't believe me, that's why all the food in your cabinet has an expiration date. Because time partnered with that which was meant to feed you, if it, if it dwells in a place for too long, it will pervert what was once good and it will make it toxic for your body. That's why food has expiration dates, because one of our biggest challenges is time. Time is a is a progressive challenge that often causes us to shift from moments of faith to wavering and sometimes losing our faith. And the man in the text, the synagogue leader, had to decide to be patient with a need of his own while he watched Jesus supply somebody else's. Here he is on path to home to see his daughter be resurrected, but he's got to wait and trust Jesus in the meantime. Here it is. Do are you, is your faith strong enough to trust God with delayed time? Can you trust God when you get a prophetic, prophetic word and it doesn't happen for five years? Can you trust God when you've been praying for something and that something doesn't come to pass uh, in a time you thought it should? Can you trust God when something you thought was going to unfold and happen in your lifetime does not happen, but you're still mature enough to sow the seed so that the generations behind you can reap the harvest of it? The question becomes, what is the impact of time on your faith? The man in the synagogue, the greatest miracle is not for me, isn't just a woman with the issue of blood, but it's the man from the synagogue was able to wait on Jesus while he healed somebody else. Not only that, I, I, there's, there's something, there's a nugget I want you to grab from it. I want to encourage you to make sure you don't miss the miracles that happen in the meantime. Oh, my goodness. Here it is. The man is asking Jesus to come and heal his daughter. Jesus gets delayed by the woman with the issue of blood. If the man, the leader of the synagogue, was not careful, he would allow the increase of time in delaying her healing to deter him from believing God. But what I believe happened is he looked at the miracle that happened in the meantime. 
and he allowed it to not drain or frustrate his faith, but he allowed it to provoke him to believe. Can you have you ever been in need of a healing in your body? But while you were waiting on Jesus to manifest healing in your body, you heard about other folk getting good doctor reports. Have you ever been in a place where you needed a financial breakthrough to meet the daily bread necessities of your children? And then you see somebody else get blessed in line at the grocery store while you're counting quarters to see if you can get a loaf of bread. Have you ever been in a position where you've seen God bless somebody else while you were waiting on your miracle? If you're not careful, you will miss the miracles that happen in the meantime that God will put right in front of you so that your faith can be built up for the obstacle that's ahead of you. I believe that the woman with the issue of blood was not just blessed by Jesus, but she was a blessing for the leader of the synagogue because the leader of the synagogue could say, I know Jesus can heal my daughter because I seen him heal the woman with the issue of blood. I seen him dry up her blood issue. I've seen him uh, with somebody touch the hem of his garment and it made them healthy in their body. I seen him stop and have dialogue with a woman that everybody else was disconnected from because of her condition. And I've seen him embrace her and love on her and send her away whole because of her faith. So if I can see her be healed by her faith, touching just his jacket, the bottom of his clothing, then I certainly believe that God can heal my daughter if I can just hold on to my faith. Do not miss the value of the miracles that happen in the meantime. Sometimes the greatest miracle isn't the blessing you receive, but it's the fact that God kept your mind until you received the blessing. Sometimes the greatest blessing isn't the new job that enabled you to pay all your bills and gave you the budget you needed to survive and take care of your family. But sometimes we miss the blessing of the miracle that God never let you miss a meal until you got your job and that fell in line for your life. We cannot afford to miss the blessing in the meantime. Don't you miss the miracle in the meantime. So number one, we have to fight to find Jesus when it's easy to stay with the crowd. Number two, we have to fight the urge to allow time to frustrate our faith. Number three, I've got to get here. We have to fight the urge to hold on to pain and we have to pursue progress. Mm. We have to fight the urge to hold on to pain and learn to pursue progress. Eesh. Here it is. Look at the text. Here it is. Verse number 23. When Jesus arrived at the official's home, he saw the noisy crowd and heard the funeral music. His response to seeing the crowd and hearing the funeral, the grieving music was he said, get out. I love it. I love it. And what happened here was we see that there is an urge to hold on to pain that will keep us from pursuing progress. I believe the reason why Jesus emptied the room and told those, the musicians, he told, he told the mourners, he told those grieving around to get out was because he understood that I have to remove the distractions that deter faith. 
and that these distractions, their potential is to help is to simply help you to hold on to pain when I'm trying to get you to pursue progress. Sometimes the reason why God subtracts people from your life is because their only potential will be to help you hold on to the pain. Sometimes God has to remove people out of your uh, relationships, out of your phone, out of your contacts, out of your church, out of your team, out of your company, out of your staff, out of out of your um, your household, out of your friendships, out of your intimate relationships. Sometimes God has to subtract subtract people and get them out of the way because their capacity is to only enable you to hold on on to pain. But what Jesus says is there's no room for the people that cause you to hold on pain and me for the person that's provoking you to pursue progress. You cannot hold on to pain and pursue progress at the same time. Oh my goodness. You cannot hold on to the bitterness, the anger, the rage, the unforgiveness of your last relationship and think that you're going to have the happy God ordained marriage that God has set up for you in your future. You have to choose between the holding on to the pain and pursuing the progress God has for you. And the way you release the pain sometimes is by releasing the wallowers that help you stay stuck in the emotion of what you're going through. Said a lot, said a lot, but the, the reason we're saying a lot is because we have to allow Christ. Here's the sub point. In order to fight the urge to hold on to pain and pursue progress, we have to allow Christ to alter the atmosphere, removing and evacuating the mourners, removing and evacuating the funeral music, change the atmosphere of the room where they're dead daughter was. And I want to encourage you that sometimes God will not change your situation until you allow him to change your atmosphere. There are people who are depositing negativity into your atmosphere. There's people who are depositing fear and doubt into your atmosphere. There are people who are depositing their shame, their guilt, their negative habits, their bitterness, their anger, their rage into your atmosphere. And until you subtract them, you'll do nothing more than hold on to the pain, but when you allow Christ to come in and get them outside of the exit, you'll find yourself in position to not just believe for more, but you can progress toward more because the atmosphere of your life has changed even when your situation doesn't. Jesus moving them out of the room did not raise the daughter, but Jesus them out, moving them out of the room changed the atmosphere in which the situation was in, which in turn positioned him in a place of faith so he can work his miracles and bring the daughter back to life. I cannot have what God has for me if I allow people to bring toxicity into the atmosphere God has ordained for change. Whew. I gotta, gotta change the atmosphere. I gotta change for the atmosphere. So I gotta tell some folk to get out. Jesus went from commanding them to get out to literally putting them out. In other words, there has to be follow through whenever you detach from wallowers. One of the hardest decisions I've ever made in my life was to separate from certain people that I value and love. One of the hardest decisions I've ever made in my life was to let go of people that I always thought I was going to have in my life. 
But one of the most value experience, valuable experiences of my life was creating space for Jesus to do his work in my life. There is not room for Christ when you allow wallowers to reign over your heart and mind. Expanding the capacity of Christ in your life sometimes means letting go of people that are in the way. Gotta, I gotta get, I gotta get my atmosphere right. I can't get my atmosphere right if I don't have the right people in the right place, and I can't have Jesus in the right place so He can deal with my issue because I've got people who will only help me hold on to the pain present in the room, and so I've got to vacate the premises and, in turn, put Him in there. Final point, I'm out your way. Final point is this. After they leave the room, the Bible says here, put the crowd outside. Jesus put the crowd outside. However, Jesus went in, took the girl by the hand. She stood up. The report of this miracle swept through the entire countryside. Once we learn to detach from wallowers, we have to learn how to fill the void with Jesus. I've got to, I've got to, I've got to, I've got to fill the void with Jesus because now that the mourners and the grievers and the musicians who are playing funeral music are out of the way and I've caused the premises to be cleared of anything and anyone that could possibly distract me from the potential of my miracle. Now I have to, I have a vacancy in my life. Here's the problem. When you stop a negative behavior, if you don't supplement with a positive behavior, the negative behavior returns and increases all the while. The scripture talks about when an unclean spirit is removed, if we're not careful, it will return back. I believe it's sevenfold. And so what we're learning here is it's not just about the deliverance. It's about the forward progress and the movement of filling the void that was once there. And so in essence, I've got to learn how to not just get the, the wallowers out the way, but I've got to put Jesus on the throne and I've got to fill the, th the voids of my life with him for the things that I'm now subtracting. The smoker now picks up a new habit and takes on unhealthy eating habits because the dependency was on a habit, not just the nicotine. And if the habit is not directed toward that which is positive, you will still have negative impact coming through a new form of dependency that is changing it's the same behavior, but has a different deficiency leading to a negative result. In essence, I have to learn how to fill the voids of my life with the word of God, with worship, with praise, with uh, uh, relationships that please God, with uh, things that uh, God has been calling me to do, like rest, things that God has been calling me to do, like take opportunities to have peace and meditate on his word. I have to learn how to fill the void. I got to fill the void because wherever there is vacancy, something will fill its place. And if you don't choose Jesus, 
there are many things that will step in and lead to your destruction. My brothers and my sisters, I just wanted to encourage you. I wanted you to encourage you to detach from wallowers. Don't get stuck on people that help you stay stuck. But not only that, I want to encourage you to fight to find Jesus when it's easier to stay with the, with the crowd. I want to encourage you to recognize the capacity of Christ to free you while the capacity of the crowd is to only hold you captive where you are. I want to encourage you to fight the urge to allow time to frustrate your faith. I want to encourage you don't miss the miracles that happen in the meantime. Fight the urge to hold on to pain and then pursue progress. You've got to allow Christ to alter the atmosphere. And finally, when you remove the wallowers, fill the void with Jesus. My brothers and my sisters, I pray that God continue to bless you. But I just want to pray with and for you. Come on, let's bow. Father, we thank you, God, for who you are. We thank you for this opportunity to come together and to dig into your word, to gain revelation on how to manage the relationships we encounter in our life. Father, we pray that we would no longer submit to wallowers. We pray that we would not be held captive by the comfort of validation of those who can identify with where we are, but aren't able to call us into the place of wholeness you ordained for us. Father, I pray for wisdom. I pray for understanding. I pray for discernment. I pray for your power. I pray for, for uh, healthy support. I pray that your spirit would help us discern the relationships we engage in. And if we're connected to wallowers, God, you detach as you see fit in your time, in your way. You get the glory out of our lives, God. We declare that your will shall be done in us. Touch our lives, touch our minds, touch our hearts so that we don't tie up to the wallower, but we remain free in you. God, have your way. Say and do is our prayer today. In Jesus' name we pray with thanksgiving. Amen. Amen. And God bless you. Until next time, we look forward to speaking with you. Continue to live alive. Family, we appreciate your support on the podcast and we pray that you've been challenged and blessed by your time with us today. Now remember, God's plan for you is abundance. So refuse to settle for less. And until next time, keep living.